Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 38th episode, and today we're going to be talking about the opioid epidemic. And while we have all been living with the COVID-19 pandemic, a more silent killer, opioids, which is a class of drugs that include the illegal drug heroin, pain relievers available by prescription, and synthetics such as fentanyl, have been claiming thousands of lives. Drug overdose deaths, including those from opioids, have increased by about 40% over the last two years, jumping from roughly 60,000 annually to about 100,000. Now, although policies regarding prevention, harm reduction, treatment, and recovery are improving, the epidemic is rapidly evolving, and policymakers are unable to keep pace. However, one successful strategy that the state is deploying is the use of peer recovery support specialists, who are individuals with lived experience with substance misuse and recovery. And through lived experience, shared understanding, respect, and mutual empowerment, peer recovery specialists support others to stay engaged in the recovery process. So, here to talk to us about this is our own Lester Cup who is a peer support coordinator at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. He's also worked as a health program specialist for the Arkansas Department of Health. He is certified as a peer recovery peer supervisor and is a member of the Arkansas Peer Advisory Committee and the Arkansas Substance Certification Board. He also received his Bachelor of Science in Addiction Studies from the University of Central Arkansas. Thanks so much, Les, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. All right. So before we get to the more serious stuff, I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not at the office with me. <laughs> Teenagers. Teenagers. Right. Uh. right. And just life, um, life that recovery's given me today. Yeah. I get to I get to do a lot of things. Um, uh, you know, family uh, rekindled uh, relationships with my dad and my mother and yeah. stuff. So you know, I. I when life comes, you know, I get to do things with the, the yeah. with him and family. That's one of the things that I people... Like to, I like to camp. Oh, yeah. Outside activities, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And I know you're you're not in the metropolitan area. You are you live just outside, right? So you got a lot of space to, to a lot, roam. A lot of space. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, I asked this of all of our guests. What would you say is your theme song? I'm gonna have to go, simple man. Simple man. Right. Song. Yeah, I'm not a 
What you see is what you get. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, so uh, first, tell us a little bit about what brought you to our organization, the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. Well, the um, first of all, I'd like to say the title of the position, a peer support coordinator, really yeah. interests me because I enjoy doing work advocating for peer support specialists and um and the program that's implemented, the naloxone program, uh-huh. is real interesting. Tell us a little bit about the naloxone program. Uh, the uh, naloxone program is a program where um, we provide naloxone in the form of Narcan, the nasal uh-huh. form, to the emergency departments in the hospitals so they can we give it to them free of charge so they can dispense to emergency department patients at discharge free of charge them or their family members uh-huh. to an at-risk or an overdose patient and it's funded through dhs through grants from division of aging and adult behavioral health services so and then the naloxone is a is a over, oh, yeah. overdose reversal right reverse it yes yeah. medicine it reverses the overdose yeah. if someone's experiencing overdose it reverses the effects of it and, and so with the more powerful opioids that we're seeing how how effective is it or do well, we see often that it's not working as well? So with the f- introduction of fentanyl and several of the drugs that we have today, the potency of fentanyl causes mul- may need, may have the cause for an individual to ha- need multiple doses oh, okay. of the naloxone. So our program actually will allow the emergency department to dispense them with to re, they can receive four doses okay so that would be like two boxes of the narcan that we provide so they can get four doses because we know of the know the potency of the fentanyl yeah. and the drugs they have today their the ability to reverse the overdose may have that we may need have the need may for need multiple more. doses of the narcan so so how far along is the is the program well we yeah. introduced our first hospital in may and since then, I think we've we now have MOAs in place with 31 hospitals. An agreement, yeah, yeah, right. and yeah, memorandum of agreement with yeah. 31 hospitals, and we're working on some more hospitals. I'd like to add, you know, well, that's a lot. I mean, there. Are really- I know that right now. So we don't. We were talking about it earlier, and we don't have a hospital specifically in Northwest Arkansas and Southwest Arkansas. We do have them northeast, southeast, uh-huh. central. And and then kind of on the west side in the Fort Smith area in that area. So we're hoping to add the northwest Arkansas and the southwest pretty soon. So I know you guys have far exceeded expectations that were set in the grant. I, I, I <laughs> so. know, like I said, you know, we, you say far exceeded, and in my mind, you know, I think we should be more get, get further yeah, along. Get you know, all. just because I, I want the Narcan in as many people's hands as can right, get it, because right. you know I've been on that front line. Yeah. So so. So what does a peer support specialist do? What what do they do? And how does one become a peer support specialist? So a peer recovery support specialist is, is someone who uses their lived experience to help somebody that's, you know, in that time of need to help them seek recovery. Yeah. You know, similar experience in similar situations. Um, they can... You know, when somebody else can't reach an individual, you know, somebody that's a peer specialist has that tendency to develop a rapport 
uh-huh. and and a relationship with that individual sharing because they've been where they are. Yeah, you know, at at some point, like you know, I'm a I'm a person of recovery, so I I tend to think that I look back and when I was in my active addiction, I didn't think there was a way out, and I had individuals share with me, you know, when I had the opportunity to go into treatment, you know, I listened to people share that were people in recovery we had guest speakers that come in that was a long time ago yeah (laughs) and we had some guest speakers that came in that kind of shared you know their story and i and that kind of gave me some hope yeah so i believe that the peer specialist can give an individual hope that they don't have to continue to live like that and stay out of that so you know and and as peer specialists we work in the state they work with one another to develop resource lists okay and multiple pathways, treatment centers, faith-based mm-hmm. and stuff. So we have a, a wide variety of people that work in the peer support community that have gotten clean or gotten in their recovery in several different ways. And where, where, where are they located? Where, where does the interaction happen? Well, right now, there's, there's a few hospitals that have okay. a peer specialist in them that, you know, gets that individual when they're right there right. at that first point. We have some that are in the jails okay. that work with individuals that have programs within the jails. They're funded through DHS. Some of the programs are called PACT. It's called Peers Achieving Collaborative Treatment. Uh-huh. So it's peer specialists that are working with these individuals in the jails to teach them about recovery. They have guest speakers, you know. Uh-huh and kind of guide them along the way and get them placement outside of that. So they have to agree to, of course, the people that are in the jails have to agree sure. to participate sure. in that. And and now they're starting to have them in treatment centers oh, okay. and in the medicated-assisted treatment clinics, you okay. know. Um, hopefully, you know, I know that they're looking at putting one in every court in the state of Arkansas oh, eventually. Good. So that's, yeah. you know, like a goal. Yeah. And then... And then me, you know, when when I do the trainings for the naloxone, we kind of explain what peer support is, mm-hmm. and and sometimes I'm able to take a peer specialist from that local area with me, and and it's really it's really neat to see the interaction because the people that work, the staff members, the nurses, and the doctors, and the individuals that work in the hospital you know, want that resource. Yeah. They want that individual. You know, if they're available to come to them and give them that. So to get them at that vulnerable point, because a lot of times when somebody's admitted to, say, a hospital, they're real vulnerable yeah. to receive help at that moment. And if they can't get it before they leave, then, you know, we... Going back to what they right, were doing. Right before. back to what they were yeah. doing. So, and to, and you're, to answer the second part yeah, of your question, how, how, how do you do, you do become, that? I mean, I know you got to have lived experience, right? But <laughs> Right. So they do. There's so, a process. So there's a process where they have to complete an application. Then two year, they have to verify two years of abstinence-based recovery mm. in, in either substance abuse or mental health in the state of Arkansas. So the DHS has a, a link, a website set up. And there's also the... The link, the de- website's www.ar.gov slash recovery. Okay. And they can get to that, and there's an application okay. on there that they can complete. But there's some training and... Right. So once the... And, and so in the application process, they have to verify that two years, and then and then they have to submit a background check, which... And a high school diploma or a GED. 
Okay. So, of course, you know, background check, a lot of people sure. in recovery are going to have saints as long as it's not a murder charge or sure. some kind of sexual, <laughs> they're probably good there. But um, so then they, after that's accepted, they're accepted into training, which the initial training is 30 hours. And then after they go to the training, they they get paired up with a peer recovery peer supervisor, somebody like myself that's been certified through the state as a peer okay. recovery peer supervisor. And and to become certified after that, they have to either work or, or volunteer, do peer work, have 500 hours and 25 hours of, of supervision by a peer supervisor. Wow. And then their initial 30 hours counts for 30 hours of continuing education. And then with before they reach that 500, they need to have a con, another 16 added to that okay. continuing education, which in the state we offer. There's conferences and sure. several trainings offered sure. that they can attend. And then there's a process that they can go to take a test and become certified. Okay. Okay. So, so a fairly streamlined process. That's good. Well, that's right. And, and in Arkansas, we have a three-tier system. So there's like core, advanced, and supervisor. Okay. And then so, you know, like there's a training for each tier. So roughly how many are there in Arkansas? Do you know? I want to say that we've trained well over 400 people. Wow. Okay. So, and I think some of them are probably not operating. Right. I, probably close to 200. The, the number changes so much, yeah. you know, regular that we're probably getting close to 500 tra- trained and we're probably actually... 200 or so that are actually active yeah. um there's a way you know the artakeback.org site mm-hmm. actually has an opioid dashboard link that you can click on and has peer recovery okay and you can actually search for the for peer specialists that okay. work in certain counties so so of course as as you mentioned you you have lived experience yourself can you tell us a little bit about your pathway to recovery so I was originally arrested and given the opportunity to go to treatment, and this was in the year 2000. Mm. So in, while I was in treatment, I was introduced to 12-step fellowship, um, and my pathway to recovery, I, I attended Narcotics Anonymous mm-hmm. meetings. Um, I have, and I continue to, and I, you know, sponsorship through that fellowship and that kind of stuff, and we get... Uh, that's my pathway. I mean, I yeah. participate in that 12-step fellowship. There are a lot of faith-based stuff, and, you know, and I've attended some of those. But And, you know, those are real prevalent today, the 12-step yeah. recovery ministries and uh-huh. the fellowship and stuff. And, and in the year 2000, they weren't as prevalent. Yeah. So, you know, the introduction to Narcotics Anonymous, you know, and it works, and that's what I stick with. That's, that's so. good. <laughs> that's good. So was was that your first opportunity at recovery or? actually that was my f- first well you're so you're probably an outlier would you say right yeah. I, I would i mean i do know that a lot of people takes multiple opportunities yeah. to get at that you know find that recovery journey but yes that's my first attempt well, at it that was that's really important from you know from a criminal justice standpoint that um that they were able to divert you instead of going the jail route, right? Right. I mean... It could have been a very different path. <laughs> it could have been a very different pathway because in my initial charges and stuff that were issued to me, I was facing a lot of prison time. Wow. 
and you know the courts gave me that opportunity and maybe that was a little motivation at first but after time spent you know I was able like I said you know I could I was able to identify the fact that I don't have to do that anymore yeah there's another way yeah so good so other than your own uh, success story as your uh, in your work as a peer support specialist do you have any success stories you can share I have several. I'll kind of share one. I I don't ever mention names right. because of confidentiality right. and stuff. And but I uh, I get to do some. I get to go into some of the detention centers and and share my story mm-hmm. and share with the guys on a weekly basis. And I continue to do that. But there's a there's one in particular individual that I remember very well that I was able to go in, and he got really into what we were doing. And when we came in once a week and, you know, we were, we came in as a narcotics anonymous group Mm -hmm. and he was, he got connected and he got linked into us and, and he got his sister to mail him some books while he was in there, the, Mm -hmm. the literature that we have. And he read the literature and he opened up to us in the meetings and he got sentenced. He went and did his time. And he went to boot camp, mm. and when he got out of boot camp, he came back to, I was living in Fort Smith at the time, and I worked, I was employed by a treatment center. Mm-hmm. And he actually, you know, I, I say this as peer specialist work, because it's a long time ago, but you know, the thing about it is, is it was what we, it's it's the same thing, it's yeah. what we do now. You were doing it before it was cool. Right. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it was cool then too, but, you know, now it's like recognized. But, and the thing about it is, is this individual, you know, he comes walking up to the place where I'm employed looking for a job. Mm. And he was actually able to get that job. Wow. But, I mean, you know, like work as peer specialist, you know, and I know that this individual is still clean today, still doing really well. Yeah. And then, the, you know, recently I've been able to go into another jail and there was a guy in there and I told him he was getting out and going to a transitional house. And, you know, and I supported him. I said, hey, when you get to the transitional house, I know the guy that runs it. I said, have him call me and and I'll buy you some literature. So we, you know, he called and I said, yeah, is he there? I said, yeah, I told him if, when he got there to call me and, <laughs> I, and I'd buy him some literature. So, you know, there you go. we got him some literature or he, we got him some literature and, you know, and he continues to call me about once a week now. Wow. And this has been in the last few months. So he calls me about once a week and tells that's me what good. he's doing. And, and that's kind of cool. Still hanging in there. That's good. So what are some of the other support uh, resources for folks in recovery or in treatment? I should say. I mean, there's, you know, the thing about it is, is it's a growing deal and there's several resources out there. Um, I think if you are, because there's so many re-entry programs, you know, people working with people that are coming out of jails uh-huh. and prisons to help them get build resumes. You know, the Goodwill programs right. do that kind of stuff to help resumes, interview yeah. skills. Like there's actually sometimes there's places where people can go because they're donated clothing that people can get for jobs. Um, there's assistance with so many things for people in recovery now. Yeah. And, and, you know, the like I said, and the types of fellowships that are out there now, you know, the, mm-hmm. I think the growing 
the community is starting to accept people in recovery a right. little more these days than than they do. Not so as stigmatized as it not was as stigmatized. It's still there a little more bit. More people places, willing to help, yeah. but people are willing to help. Yeah. And and I saw that. I don't know. There's just so many resources available. Yeah. You know, if you find them and and, and you know what. And I don't do so much hands-on peer support work, but like if somebody were to, if I were to reach out to some of the people that actually supervise, that's where I get a lot of my information yeah. because they, they just know stuff, yeah. you know, because <laughs> they work so close with them. It's like, they just know stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's assistance for financial for people that are trying to move into places and. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So they're, they're. Some wraparound resources. A lot of wraparound Some type good resources. stuff going on, but we still have some challenges, right? So what are some of those challenges that we still face in terms of treatment recovery? So challenges, I, I think that... Other than stigma, we, we mentioned stigma. Right. Um, and But I think that a lot of people are going to say access to treatment when people actually want it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for instance, I was talking about an individual in the hospital reaching out and saying, hey, I want help. Yeah. You know, but a lot of times right then is when they need it. Yeah. And the access to the actual treatment is not available at that minute. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And we run into insurance barriers mm. in rural areas. It's basically a lot of access, uh-huh. you know, access to recovery things. Right. Recovery and treatment in the rural areas. And Arkansas is a very rural state. Yeah. We run into that. Um, probably transitional type chem free living for women mm. there's a lot of place you know a lot more placement available for men for that men are coming out of treatment women. looking huh. for transition yeah. and another one would be you know like a a female that has children you yeah. know where you know placement for her and her kids so i mean there there are things available but some of them have like a age cut off so it oh. makes it difficult for some of them yeah interesting are so are there any you see any promising signs in the battle against addiction? Well, I mentioned you know the thing that I mentioned was right there is a challenge is just like transitional living. Yeah. But I've you know, before I worked in substance abuse treatment, actual treatment field for almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. And and it just amazes me today the amount of resources that are available for people that are like coming out of treatment or seeking help. Uh-huh. Um, so as many as many transitional places that as there are today, yeah. there's way there's a lot more than there were. Well, you uh, know, say let's say five, ten years ago, and still there's still a need for more. Yeah, and and fortunately we we have some funding coming our way through the opioid settlement litigation that will hopefully open the door to additional treatment options, expanded access and things like right. that. Right, and, and I have heard some mention of some different things, and one of the things I think that the state is also doing is they're, they've contracted with somebody to, like, certify transitional houses mm-hmm. that are going to come in and oversee another program. That's good. So That's good. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a growing. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So my final question for you, if there were one piece of advice you would give to someone struggling with addiction what would that be there's help there's help available to you yeah if you need it i mean i was once that person that didn't think there was a way out and and somebody sharing their story gave me hope yeah so 
Well, thank Just you so much, Les, for welcome. joining us and thank telling your story and telling us how uh, much of a, an impact that you're having in, in others' lives as well. It's, it's really great. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.